Welcome to the Sound Words Podcast, where it's our goal to help Christians love and live out God's Word. I'm Pastor Aaron Nicholson. I'm here with Pastor Jesse Randolph, and we have Dr. Richard Vargas with us. Hello, Dr. Vargas. How are you? Hey, guys. Glad to be here. I'm doing good. Thanks. Good to have you. Great. Well, it's a joy to have you on the podcast, Dr. Vargas. And uh, Dr. Vargas, you are the Executive Director of IFCA International. That's not FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, but (laughs) IFCA, Independent Fundamental Churches of America. Uh, Dr. Vargas lives in the greater Grand Rapids, Michigan area with his wife, Wendy, and their four daughters. And he and I, we go back several years now. I once took some classes with him at Master's Seminary. Uh, We are both connected through the IFCA, of which I'm a member and he's the executive director. Uh, We're both native Southern Californians, and God has providentially moved us both to the Midwest, Dr. Vargas up to Michigan, and me and my family here to Nebraska. And you, Dr. Vargas, were kind enough to preach my installation service uh, back in June of last year as I became the new senior pastor of our church. So I personally and we as a church are incredibly grateful for you, for your ministry, uh, your example of faithfulness, and now joining us as a guest in the Soundword podcast. So again, thank you for joining us. Well, tell us a little bit, if you would, about IFCA International, its history, its purpose, and so on. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, You know, actually, the other day I had somebody in my church, we were doing a men's ministry activity, and we were just kind of hanging out, and he looked at me and he said, hey, um, why don't you tell me what IFCA stands for? I forget. (laughs) And uh, I said, well, that's the funny thing, is that uh, like IBM uh, doesn't stand for international business machines anymore. It's just IBM. IFCA doesn't really, the the acronym doesn't stand for anything anymore. But when it was started in 1930, it stood for Independent Fundamental Churches of America. And um, sometime in the 80s, the um, fellowship decided that it wanted to uh, distinguish itself a little bit more, uh, moving away from those negative uh, cultural fundamentalist and Islamic fundamentalist um, connections that people were making. And unfortunately, it wasn't true of us, but, you know, they wanted to separate a little bit from that um, kind of mental picture. Mm-hmm. And then um, we had become a more international. We we had members that were missionaries that were moving overseas, and we had uh, churches that had found out about us somehow in uh, different uh, continents all over the world. And they were you know, planting churches and uh, they were gathering together um, under the IFCA banner. And we thought, you know, it really isn't appropriate to be called um, IFCA, Independent Fundamental Churches of America, when we're not exclusively in America anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, even early on in our history, we had churches in Canada, um, and yet they still fell under that banner. So it was more appropriate to, to move that name that way. And really what we are is we're a, a movement, a fellowship of individuals, um, both um, vocational uh, pastors and missionaries and Christian workers of different kinds, as well as laymen. So um, leaders in the church, maybe, or um, they could just be, you know, really faithful, uh, consistent Christians who really want to get behind the Bible church movement. And then we have churches that are uh, members and uh, they are known uh, doctrinally for their IFCA membership. They, they stand on on the same doctrine we uh, affirm. And then there are organizations. Some are missions agencies. Um, some of them are schools, uh, Bible colleges, seminaries, uh, church planting agencies, things like that. And uh, really the hub of everything that we do um, is off of our doctrinal statement. Uh, coming you know, in the 19, early 1900s, and this is kind of what we're talking about today, in that early period when 
um, fundamentalism and what they called modernism. Uh, later, would be called liberalism, and today we'd call them progressivism. Um, all of those movements away from uh, the fundamentals of the faith caused churches and organizations to separate from uh, apostasy. And so because they wanted to work together, uh, they banded together as independent entities, uh, pastors and missionaries and churches and organizations, uh, banded together to work in cooperation with one another, but to know that all of them agreed on the fundamentals of the faith. And so uh, that's how IFCA was born. Is born in Chicago um, in a suburb called Cicero, Cicero, Illinois. And uh, that's where it began. And uh, it's continued on faithfully. Uh, it's quickly approaching its 100th anniversary. And a lot of ministries and really uh, well-known Bible teachers have uh, been and continue to be members of IFCA. And so we're very proud of our history and we're very thankful to the Lord for how he has kept us uh, faithful for all these years, for many generations, and just continue to do the work that the Lord's given to us. Amen. Yeah. And we appreciate you just holding the line and being biblical and encouraging others to do the same. So when we talk about fundamentalism, could you, Dr. Vargas, define fundamentalism for us? And if you could just go into what are the historic roots of this term? What are some modern day misconceptions about the term fundamentalism? Uh, If you could answer those questions, that'd be great. Sure. So you have to go back to this time when in the early 1900s, uh, a lot of anti-supernaturalism, rationalism um, is coming out of different theological schools of thought, many of them based in Germany and Europe. And as uh, American uh, Christian leaders are being trained in these schools, they are the, the, their belief system, their, their training, all of this apostate doctrine is beginning to infiltrate into the American church. And so it's coming into... Um, not only the church um, on, on a you know uh, local level, but really where it's starting is at the top levels of organizations in mainline denominations. It's starting in uh, those that are professors um, in in uh, seminaries and other training institutions. It's also infiltrating into the um, missions agencies and missionaries that are overseas are beginning to export it out all over the world. And it's a denial of those fundamentals of the faith, um, things like uh, the existence of miracles in the Bible, um, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, uh, the necessity of the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ, the literal uh, bodily resurrection of Christ and his literal physical return uh, at the second coming, uh, things like this that are critically important for uh, anybody that names the name of Christ to uh, accept and believe. And so as um, those things are starting to become more and more denied amongst those that feel like they've got to uh, unhitch um, Christianity from these commitments because it's um, not allowing for Christianity to continue on, it they're trying to modernize, and that's where they got their name, they're trying to modernize uh, Christianity and bring it up to the times and align it with, uh, you know, a, an enlightened idea that everything uh, scientific is right and, and we're not primitive as they were in the Middle Ages, believing all of these myths, that kind of stuff. And so, as as faithful Christians are um, seeing this, at first they're really trying to uh, change within each of these churches and denominations and. 
uh, different kinds of uh, structures, agencies and schools and things like this. They're trying to change it from within. Um, they are, they're calling for the removal of apostates from amongst themselves. And of course, scripture speaks about this, that we're to uh, put them out from among us. And they did that for quite a while. You know, they're calling for um, a hard line on um, confessions and doctrinal statements and all of these historic Orthodox documents that the church has always uh, agreed to. And yet these modernists are denying. And so they're, they're pointing to uh, each, you know, each tradition's um, particular historical documents and saying, this is what we believe. Now, at the same time, there are moderates who are inside of each of these institutions, and they're calling for patience and for investigation. And maybe we need to look a little deeper into these things. We, we don't want to come to the wrong conclusions. These, these are our brethren after all. And um, the moderates kind of made it even more difficult for those that were apostate within these uh, organizations and churches to be put out. And uh, after a while, it was recognized by those who would later be recognized as fundamentalists. That's what they would be called. They were recognized as this, this is not uh, possible. We can't um, save these organizations. These denominations have been lost. Um, uh, it, it's it's no longer feasible for us to try to keep this uh, mechanism going. It's it's disintegrating right beneath our feet. Um, the only thing that we can do to be faithful is to now leave these organizations, these denominations and churches. Um, it, they can't be salvaged. We have tried, but the um, the enemy has really infiltrated so deeply into this that all of our efforts have failed. And we have to leave. And uh, those that were committed to not um, uh, change their doctrine to become modernists or even to be moderates who would accept a certain degree of compromise, now they were labeled with fundamentalism as their name. They were called fundamentalists based off of uh, a title that was given to them by uh, one, one fundamentalist writer and also because of the connection with the project that had been produced in uh, an offensive against these modernists called the fundamentals. There were booklets that were uh, produced uh, by a couple of brothers that were very wealthy and very concerned about what was happening in the American church. And so they started producing these booklets that were compilations against modernist doctrine, and they would mail them to anybody that asked for them. And so they said, you know, if your pastor um, if he doesn't have these booklets, then request them and we'll mail them to him. And so they sent, you know, thousands upon thousands of these booklets out to combat this modernist movement. But eventually they just had to remove themselves from it and um, because they knew that they couldn't change it and they needed to stay pure. The big fight was about these fundamentals, which really, when you look at them, they really are the essence of what Christianity is. It's the gospel. Um, you cannot re retain your identity as a Christian if you don't retain these fundamentals. And so um, J. Gresham Machen, who wrote about Christianity and liberalism, uh, rightly uh, described this idea of liberal Christianity as a whole other religion. It, it wasn't Christianity. It was a fake. It was a counterfeit. And so the fundamentalists were right to eventually realize there is no salvaging this mess. We need to leave. So you ask the question, what, what's the, the difference between, you know, um, 
just a, a Christian or we would say an evangelical and and a fundamentalist. Well, all all fundamentalists are evangelical in that they hold to the gospel of Jesus Christ as described in scripture without compromise. All evangelicals, true evangelicals, um, believe that. But fundamentalists are a subset of the evangelical, and, and they would be different in the sense that they recognize there is no um, there is no way to accept those who are false Christians, they're heretics or they're apostates within our ranks and to identify them as brothers. We cannot accept these false brethren under the same terms as we can fellowship with Christians. And so separation really is the big difference between an evangelical and a fundamentalist. An evangelical may be willing to overlook certain things and make some allowances to work together with um, unbelievers under the banner of we're all Christians. Um, And so you will find amongst evangelicals to this day, those that would uh, even say, yeah, they're, uh, yes, they're Mormons, but they love Jesus. And so we believe, believe the same thing. They believe Jesus died on the cross. We believe Jesus died on the cross. They believe that Jesus is God. We believe Jesus is God. And they don't go any deeper than that, but they would say, so I believe that they're um, that they're Christian brothers. They call themselves Christians. Who am I to doubt their sincerity? Roman Catholicism is another area. Jehovah's Witnesses is another area. And so they would say, yeah, if, if um, they want to work with us, um, we recognize and accept them as Christian brothers and sisters, just different denominations. We don't agree on everything. Fundamentalists would say absolutely not because they don't subscribe to the Christian faith as it's been handed down to us. And we can't be hypocrites and recognize them as Christians when they really are not Christians. We cannot work with them as Christians when they're not Christians. And so we have to separate from them so there is no confusion in the minds of the watching world when they look at us and say, well, you're Christians and they say they're Christians and you all work together, so aren't we all just looking at the Christian church and its different varieties? And the fundamentalists would say, absolutely not. The biblical fundamentalists would say uh, they are unbelievers, um, or they've they've left the uh, the church. They've left the uh, the true church of Jesus Christ and do not subscribe to the true gospel of Jesus Christ, like the Roman Catholic Church. And they would say absolutely, they are not Christians, and therefore we will not fellowship with them as Christians. Now we may do other things. We may we don't have to be mean spirited. We don't have to be hateful or vengeful or spiteful or or spit venom. But at the same time, we will not identify them as brethren in Christ. And some of the uh, things that happened, like uh, with Billy Graham when he did his um, New York crusade, there was some splits because Billy Graham wanted to accept uh, apostate liberals who identified themselves as Christians and bring them up on the platform. And he wanted to also identify with um, Roman Catholics. And he had uh, priests, priests and other representatives of the Catholic church up on the platform. And he told everybody that he was going to send them back any converts. He was going to send them back to the churches that were represented there. And he just treated them all as equals before that Graham didn't do that. But from that point on his strategy was to kind of identify all of them as Christians, big tent Christians, and then they would be 
um, invited to his crusade. And then, of course, those the, the, the strategy was those uh, Roman Catholic churches, those um, apostate liberal churches would bring their people to uh, these crusades, and hopefully they would hear the gospel preached by Graham. The problem is that Graham had agreed to send them back to those apostate churches. And and the the fundamentalists said, you can't do that. You can't do that. You're making them out to be the same as true believers that believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so there was a, a historic split there between fundamentalists and um you know, evangelicals and those that split from at that point on um, and were willing to compromise. Um, fundamentalists recognized them as by a label they called them neo evangelicals because true evangelicals accept the full gospel um, and and they are willing to recognize the fundamentals of the faith. Neo evangelicals are willing to just kind of bulldoze over all of that and just you know it's very pragmatic. It's whatever works. We're going to go with that, and we're going to just kind of sweep everybody under this giant tent we'll call Christianity. And the the vestiges of that shipwreck of an idea remain with us to this day. And so there is still absolutely a need for biblical fundamentalism in the church today to stand guard and say, no, this is the gospel. These are the fundamentals. We will not compromise, and we will not work with those who are apostates and call them believers, because that's a lie. And so that's kind of a nutshell, um, the difference between an evangelical and a uh, a fundamentalist. That's really <clears throat> helpful, Dr. Vargas, and I appreciate it, because you've gone historic. You've, you've ex- helped us you know, dive deeply into the roots of the the fundamentalist movement, even going back to those those uh, booklets put out by the brothers and and published by Tori and Biola. Uh, I have a set of those in my office, and I go back to them frequently just to be reminded of the mm-hmm. fundamentals of the faith and to be proudly called a fundamentalist because what we're talking about is biblical fundamentalism, not any other type of right. uh, fundamentalism. And you've also been helpful in drawing that distinction that is often blurred, especially among those who are not in the know, and also maybe in certain election cycles when everybody gets lumped together if they are if they have any sort of whiff of Christianity as being evangelical or fundamental. It really depends on how much you dislike the person, whether you call them an evangelical or a fundamental <laughs> fundamentalist. Right. Um, but that's been helpful to hear you explain the distinction between those terms. Now, moving forward with fundamentalism, specifically biblical fundamentalism, what are some of the greatest challenges you see for the, the biblical fundamentalist movement in the years ahead? And what are our greatest opportunities? Yeah, I think um, some of the challenges have to do with really, well, there's, I think there's two main ones. The first one is disconnecting from unbiblical uh, fundamentalism, which is often dressed in the cultural garb of, um, you know, the 1920s and 30s through the, the 50s. Um, I was at breakfast with some uh, older brothers um, uh, at a meeting, and I had an opportunity to ask them some questions because, as you know, our convention this uh, coming summer is on biblical fundamentalism. And so I've been I've been reading deeply on the subject, and not just our own fellowship's history, but just the general movement of fundamentalism. And, and I asked these guys, I said, I can't. I can't seem to f- fully grasp 
why cultural fundamentalism is so hung up on certain things. And it just seems to be across the board. And that really is the challenge is to unhitch ourselves from this cultural fundamentalism. And, um, and these men that had lived through, um, they're not a lot older than me, but I'd say they've got at least 10 to 20 years on me, um, said, well, you know, the, the changes that happened during the Jesus people movement, and we've got this Jesus revolution movie going on right now, talking about the history of Calvary Chapel, um, really shows that visually for a lot of people that aren't familiar with, um, Chuck Smith and the Calvary Chapel movement in Southern California. But, um, the, the, the conservative church didn't know what to do with Chuck Smith and his hippies and, and Lonnie Frisbee and, and, and all the group that were there. Um, and there was a whole, you know, cadre of, of young men that really rose up with, um, with Chuck Smith to support the Calvary Ch- Chapel movement. But they, they just embraced these, uh, these, you know, hippie children, these these uh, young people that really were countercultural, and um, and you know they had long hair, they had funny dress, they were they were you know uh, free love and all this stuff, and um, they were barefoot and and didn't shower, and they kind of bohemian lifestyle, and uh, they had their their you know rock and roll music, um, you know, and and all of that culture, that countercultural movement. And, uh, and these, and these older pastors, um, only one of them was IFCA. The other ones were still, uh, I would say fundamentalists, but they weren't from, from our group. They said, you know, that really the church didn't know how to deal with these young people when they came into the church. And, um, so the cultural fundamentalist movements really came as a reaction to that is that they said, we are absolutely not going to allow drums and guitars and long hair and women wearing pants and and uh, you know all this hippie music and rock and roll and all that stuff and uh, it's it's absolutely so they kind of locked their church culture into the 1950s and before. So if you go into a a, a fundamentalist church that is. Uh, cultural fundamentalism, as well as theologically fundamental, you'll find that they may believe all the things that I just described, but they've got the oddities of being locked into a, a 1950s culture where everything is old is good. You know, the, it's, it's not the, you're not going to Reformation hymns. You're going to the 1950s kind of revivalist hymns. Mm. And uh, you're, you're not going to, uh, you know, uh, lutes and lyres and, um, you know, the music that's being played during the time of Martin Luther. You're, go, you're going back to, um, you know, old organs and uh, piano music and special numbers and doilies and, you know, all this stuff. I mean, it's like you went into your, your great grandma's house and everything in the church is like locked down during that, that uh, couple of, you know, decades, that generation. And when, when these guys said that to me, it just like clicked. I thought everything that happened during that Jesus people movement, which happened, you know, all over the country, it wasn't just in Southern California. Um, it was everywhere. Um, that strong reaction by biblical fundamentalists to lock it down and say that's sin and we're not going there, um, is what resulted in cultural fundamentalism writing along with biblical fundamentalism. And you see it in all kinds of ways. 
we have to detach ourselves from that. Um, a lot of our, our IFCA churches aren't locked into that time frame, but in people's minds we are because unfortunately, just as the cultural aspects get connected to the theological ones in the world, our views are just as outdated as their grandma's views. Our, our, our theological uh, commitments are just as outdated and not just unbelievers think that, but, uh, Christians of, um, other stripes, evangelicals. And today the, the idea of evangelicalism is so, so broad. I mean, you can deny so many things and still consider yourself an evangelical. Even the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, the ELCA, is so unevangelical. It is so apostate. I don't know how in the world they still want to carry the name evangelical in their denominational name, but they still do. And so, um, you know, I think that us disconnecting in people's minds and making a distinction between what a true biblical fundamentalist is and then all of the other stuff that really, um, some of it is important, but really isn't part of what it means to be a fundamentalist. I think that's key for us going forward. And then secondly, um, I think that it is, it's going to have to be standing firm and being will, willing to battle royale for the truth of the gospel because so many segments of the evangelical slash broad Christian church has become so apostate. So much of it just denies the clarity of the scriptures on teaching that is never in the history of the Christian church has anybody been willing to be called a Christian and and yet deny all the things that people deny today within the church. And so I think that we're just going to um, have to be uh, vigilant and uh, planting these fundamental flags and say, this is what the scripture teaches. We will not compromise and we won't apologize for it and, um, you know, and be faithful. And that will probably draw fire. It'll draw fire from the world, uh, but it will also draw what could be called friendly fire from those that have moved away from those faithful things and don't believe that it's necessary to believe them and be a Christian. Um, and they may still hold to the gospel, but they don't agree with us on our stand on things like um, biblical inerrancy or things like that. They they will fire at us because we're being the angry fundamentalists who just won't get up to the times. And that really is a slide back into modernism. It's no different. It's just got a different dress. So um, I think those are the two things we're going to be challenged with um, facing the cultural fundamentalist side. And then, so we got enemies on that side. And then on the other side, we've got enemies in the culture itself, the modern culture that really doesn't uh, accept the clear teaching of scripture that has historically been taught in the Christian church. Thank you, Dr. Vargas. That's so helpful. I appreciate the distinction between cultural fundamentalism and biblical fundamentalism. And I totally agree with you. We need to detach from cultural fundamentalism. Uh, We do need to stand firm for the truth. Like Jude uh, in his charge says, contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. And I know that's your mission and that's your goal. And it's, it's very obvious. So Thank you, uh, Dr. Vargas, for being on today. Thank you for sharing your insights and for answering our questions. Uh, We just really appreciate you and appreciate your work there at IFCA. Well, thanks so much, Jesse. And thanks, Aaron. I I appreciate you guys and what you're doing. And 
Uh, it always feels good to have good brothers that are standing for the truth along with us because we know uh, as many friends as we can gather together, we uh, will make some progress and headway in this for the glory of God. Amen. For the glory of God. Well, listeners, if you'd like to learn more about IFCA, you can go to ifca.org. And uh, Pastor Jesse, do you have any last words to close us out here? As always, final word goes to God in his word. Second Timothy 1.13, retain the standard of sound words, which you've heard from me in the faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Sound Words podcast. Have a great day.